Good morning and Boker Tov to everyone. Thank you for being with us again for the Parsha Perspectives for today, an analysis of the weekly Parsha with an emphasis on trying to extract lessons that can inspire and inform contemporary times and the current issues that we are all facing. We are coming to you from an undisclosed quarantined location in New York. As we prepare, please God, for our two-week countdown to our daughter's wedding and following the orders of quarantining. So notice the uh, new background. I hope that doesn't throw you off uh, too much this morning. Okay, I want to thank our sponsors for the series as always. Becky and Avi Katz, our dear friends who have generously sponsored the Parsha series for this year yet again in memory of Becky's amazing, amazing father, David Grossman, Le'ilu Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manashem. Before we even jump into the new Sefer, to the book of Dvarim, the fifth book of the Torah, I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about the Haftorah. Let's work backwards for fear that we'll never actually get to the Haftorah if we begin with the Parsha itself. This week's Haftorah from the Navi Yeshayahu begins with the words Chazon Yeshayahu, and it's known therefore as Shabbos Chazon. Next Shabbos, the Shabbos following Tisha B'Av is known as Shabbos Nachamu, the Shabbos of comfort, and the Shabbos that precedes Tisha B'Av is known as Shabbos Chazon. Both of those names derive from the introductory words to the Haftorahs. So, Nachamu Nachamu Ami, the words of comfort that follow Tisha B'Av, and this week is Shabbos Chazon, the word that precedes, the Haftorah that precedes uh, Tisha B'Av, which is the image or the mandate, the command of of Chazon. Rav Tzadok HaKoyin of Lublin, the great Rav Tzadok, points out that if you look, we have three Gimel de Paranuso, we have three Haftorahs that are negative, three Haftorahs that precede Tisha B'av, that describe what we need to work on and that anticipate and that predict the destruction, the devastation, the negativity. And then we have the Shiva de Nechemta, the seven Haftorahs of comfort and consolation. It says Rav Tzadok, look at the opening word of each of the Gimel de Paranusa, look at the opening word of each of the three Haftorahs that precede Tisha B'av, and you'll find what exactly we need to work on what it is we need to repair. If you're looking for a mandate, if you're looking for a motto, if you're looking for direction, what we're meant to be working on in these three weeks, and what will begin tonight, the nine days, and please God, we'll all be in Yerushalayim eating korbanos, but if not, we'll be observing Tisha B'Av. So says Rav Tzadik, look at the opening words of these three Gimel de Paranusa, and what are they? Two weeks ago we read, Divrei Yirmiyahu. These are the words of Yirmiyahu. Davar, le daber, the dibur, the speech, being careful, we spoke about last week in Parshat Matos, lo yachel dvaro, dibur, our speech creates a davar. We create the reality around us with the words that we use and with the speech that we employ. And so the first thing we have to work on in these three weeks is divrei yirmiyahu. Divrei, be careful with what we say and how we say it, to be exceedingly careful with our words. This past Shabbos we used... The opening words of the Aftorah were, Shimu Dvar Hashem. Listen, listen to the words of Hashem. We have to be careful what we listen to, what we accept, how we interpret it, what we take for granted, how we listen. Are we active listeners or passive listeners? Do we listen to learn or do we listen to buy time until we can respond? Do we listen respectfully or do we listen just as a courtesy? Shimu Dvar Hashem. The second thing we have to work on is our koach, our power of listening. It says, Rav Tzadok, this coming week, the Haftorah will read is Chazon Yeshayahu. Chazon is what we see and what we look at. How do we choose what we look at? 
Do we have an eye in tov? Do we see the good in people? Or an eye in ra? Do we look for the negativity? Do we, are we careful with Shmir Sainayim? Are we careful and scrupulous with what we look at and what we watch and what images and icons and ideas we allow into our neshama, into our very being? So says Rav Tzadik, if you're looking for the formula, if you want to know how to build the Beis HaMikdash, if we're longing to be able to reverse the serific exile and we want to bring a period of Geula, all you have to do is pay attention to the opening word of each of the three Haftorahs of the Gimel de Paranusa of the three weeks. Divrei, Shim'u and Chazon. If we're careful what we say, and we're careful how we listen, and we're careful what we look at, this will guide and this will inspire our interpersonal relationships and raise them to a new level. Rav Mendel of Betebsk points out, the Gemara in Shabbos Kuf Yerches tells us, If the Jewish people only kept two Shabbos properly, then we would be redeemed immediately. Just not one Shabbos and we all go free, but the Gemara says just two Shabbos and we all go free. If only we would keep, if only we would observe two Shabbos in succession, then we would achieve that redemption that we all so desperately yearn for and long for. Which two Shabbos? Says Rav Mendel of Betebsk, you know which two Shabbos? Shabbos Chazon and Shabbos Nachamo. If we really tapped to and understood the pain and the longing if we really felt the despair and the loss of Shabbos Chazon. And then on the other side, when we come out, we'll feel what it means to be transformed by, by Shabbos Nachamu, to receive and accept consolation and comfort, even though nothing is different. We'll talk about that more next week. If we properly observe Shabbos Chazon and Shabbos Nachamu, these are the Shtei Shabbosos. Those are the two weeks that we're being called upon to observe. Then Miyad Nigalam, if we'd really tap into them, then we would be free. Alexander, Alexander Rav explains, what does it mean this week Shabbos Chazon is a great Shabbos? Shabbos Chazon is all kinds of halachas. Can you wear freshly laundered clothing? Can you shower for Shabbos? What are the halachas of a Shabbos that it falls in the nine days? And yet, we put the nine days on hold. On this Shabbos, we in fact do get ready. We wash, we prepare, we wear Shabbos clothing, we meet, we drink wine, we suspend the regular rules of the nine days in order to experience a Shabbos Chazon. Where is the godless, the Shabbos Godol in Shabbos Chazon? Where is the greatness in a Shabbos Chazon, which really is a sad Shabbos? What is it we're meant to experience? So the Alexander Rabbi says the following. He says, you know, before a father and a son, before a father and a daughter, before a parent and child depart one from the other, before they say goodbye, they have a long and loving embrace. You're sending your child in a normal year off to sleepaway camp. You're sending them off to the year in Israel. You're sending them off, even the parent who has to practice tough love. Chas v'shalom rachman al-etzlan. A parent has a child who is sliding down in a life of addiction or poor decision-making or poor judgment. And that parent has to practice tough love on that child before they send them out of their home. When they drop them off at their rehab, they give them the longest and the tightest hug. Shabbos chazon is that last effort. Our father gives us that hug and he says, we have to depart from one another. We have to separate. I have to withdraw my hashras, hashkina, my divine countenance and presence for whatever reasons we are going to and need to be apart. But before a parent and child depart from one another, they give a long and a loving hug and a goodbye. And that's Shabbos Chazon. Shabbos Chazon in the middle of that nine days, but before Tisha B'av is that last hug. It's that last loving goodbye. It's that last moment. The Tefer Shloima, I'm giving you a lot of chasidus as we get ready for Shabbos Chazon. Oy. The spirituality, the ruchnius, it gives us a sense of mindfulness and meaning to be able to extract out of this time. You know, it's not just, I, I say often, I remember as a child passing a restaurant in my hometown that advertised, we'll have the, the uh, it advertised on the, the window of the restaurant 
a nine days menu, and it finished with the tagline, these will be the best nine days you ever had. The best nine days you ever had. That, my friends, is an oxymoron. It's just a moron. Forget the oxy. It's ridiculous. There's no best nine days. Could you imagine someone says, what I've arranged for you with the shiva platters and with the food that's going to be dropped off, this is going to be the best shiva you ever sat. The food you're going to eat, it's extraordinary. And the chesed and the restaurants that want to drop things off, you're going to eat the menu for your shiva. This is going to be the best shiva you ever sat. Could you imagine someone saying such a thing? Who would advertise such a thing? This will be the best nine days you'll ever have. There is no best nine days. This is a nine days that's meant to transform us, to inspire us. It's meant to drive us and to motivate us. It's meant to get us up off the floor and be tired of this exile and the causes of it. There's no best nine days. It's not just another thing I put a check mark next to on the calendar. Baruch Hashem, I can get back to music and laundry and swimming. Done. Finished. Rav Shechter said I can wash my hands as Tisha Oh, Baruch Hashem, leniencies this year. No. We're grieving. A person who's in Shiva is, is supposed to have a cathartic experience. They're supposed to reflect on that loss. They're supposed to mourn and grieve. They're supposed to mourn and grieve. The Tefer Shlomer, Shlomer Meredemsk, says, connected to our Parsha. Our Parsha tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the Torah and Hashem gave us the Torah at Har Chorev, at Har Sinai, and our life is meant to be with a Beis HaMikdash, to enter Eretz Yisrael, and to set up a government, and to have a Beis HaMikdash, to create a king. The Beis HaMikdash, in our times, we don't have a Beis HaMikdash. Nevertheless, the Pasuk says, Rav Lachem Sheves, and he interprets it to Shlomo as, Rav Lachem Shabbos. Don't read it Rav Lachem Shabbos, but Rav Lachem Shabbos. As long as we can immerse ourselves in Shabbos, the regalim, ali l'regal, we can't do, we don't have a base on Megdash. So the Yom and Tovim are not the way they were or are meant to be. But you know what we still do have? Shabbos is kviyah v'kayama. Shabbos comes and we don't go to him, he comes to us. Shabbos comes in the morning and the grieving are suspended. Shabbos comes and we put on the Shabbos clothing. Shabbos comes and it's a taste of olam haba. Rav lachem Shabbos. Rav lachem Shabbos. Shabbos chazon. Shabbos chazon, we can still look out and we can still get a glimpse. Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev says, Shabbos Chazon, that word Chazon is like a machazet, it's a vision. It is a Shabbos where every one of us have a vision for what life could be, for the dream that we have, for the light at the end of the tunnel. Everyone gets an image, a vision of what the third base Hamikdash will be like, even if yet from a distance. It's Shabbos Chazon. It's yet we're in Gullus and yet we're in grieving, but we have a vision of who we can be and where we can be. And what we have to do to get there. Maran l'nishmaso, this is shown to our neshama. It's shown to our neshama and we have the ability to rise and to elevate in order to go pursue it. So this is our Haftorah, the third and the final of the Gimel de Paranusa, the three Haftorahs that precede Tishabav, The three Haftorahs of sadness and despair, of despondency and destruction. But they're not supposed to make us give up. They're supposed to inspire us. Divrei, shimu, chazon. These are the words. How do we talk? Shimu, how do we listen? Chazon. What do we choose to look at? Says Rav Tzadok. Says Rav Menachem Mendel of Betebsk. The two Shabbases and we'll all go free are Shabbos Chazon and Shabbos Nachem. Learn about them. Tap into them. Be transformed by them. Don't just concern yourself with the menu of them. The best nine days we'll ever have. 
Rav Shlomo of Radomsk, the Tefer Shlomo, Rav Lachem Shabbos, Rav Lachem Shabbos. Even when we don't have Aliyah Regal, even when we don't have the Beis Hamikdash, we still have Shabbos, a taste of Olam Haba, a taste of the way it's meant to be. And this is Shabbos Chazon. This is the Shabbos where we get a vision, where we get a glimpse, where we have an opportunity to see the way it will be and to do what we need to do to get there. All right, so that's what I have Torahs. Let's get to the Parsha. The Parsha, we begin the fifth and final book of the Torah. This book is categorically different than the first four. The first four are dictated by the Ribbonah Shalom. They are the word of Hashem. The fifth, of course, also is the word of Hashem, but it's Moshe's soliloquy and monologue. At the end of his life, as they are on the precipice of entering the land, this is the Mishneh Torah, the repetition of all that comes before, where Moshe places the emphasis on what they need to learn and extract on the mitzvahs that need to be repeated. It is the Mishneh Torah, the repetition of the Torah. It is not in third person, it's in first person. It's not Moshe Rabbeinu speaking on behalf of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but this is Moshe's own word. And this fifth and final book of the Torah, as we say every year when we introduce it, is a Musr Sefer. It's brought down that you don't need to, you know, traditionally in summer people would travel. I have the Svarim I took with me, some of them, just a few of them behind me and many more, a whole box I had to carry with me in order to Be'ezra Hashem continue to give our shiurim and learn together. But it said that in the summertime, all you need is your Sefer Tzvarim. You don't have to bring your Urchos Tzadikim and your Shari Tshuva and your Mesilus Yisharim and your Musa Tzvarim because Sefer Tzvarim is the greatest Musar Sefer there is. Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest Baal Musar there was. And learning the Mepharshim on Sefer Tzvarim, you have everything that you need. I'll give you an example. Reb Chaim Lowy, the brother of the Maharal of Prague, the famed Maharal of Prague, had a brother whose name was Reb Chaim, and he said the following, as an overview of all of Sefer Dvarim. Sefer Dvarim, he said, is a message. And in the title of each parsha, if you string together or just read uh, uh, in sequence the title of the parshios, you have a lesson right there. Dvarim, every person has to put in their heart. Vo'eschanan, that, she'asimu lev dvari, ve'eschanan, to listen to what Hashem has to say. Ekev, because, re'ei, when you have shoftim, when you have judges in the land, a beisdin, below and above, then kiseitze, when you leave this world, kisavo, you'll come to the world. And then nitzavim, you'll be standing in front of Hashem in the Olam HaEmes. Vayelech, what was your journey? How did you behave? Hazinu, listen, and vizos bracha. And if you do, that is the greatest bracha. So if you simply read in order, just the title, the names of the parashiyos, said the Maharal's brother, Reb Chaim, you have a prescription for a meaningful and a purposeful life in this world. Dvarim, listen to Hashem's words, Ve'eschanan, put it in your heart, Ekev, because, Re'eh, if you look, Shoftim, there is a judge above, and Kiseitzi, when we leave this world, Kisava will come to the world of truth, and Itzavim will be standing before Hashem, and Vayelech will be judged for how we journeyed and traveled, what was our life like in this world. Hazinu, if we listen then, Vizos bracha, then our life will be filled with a bracha. What a beautiful notion to keep in mind. All is contained just in the title of the, of the parashios. Rabbi Soloveitchik digs just a bit deeper in seeing the significance of Sefer Dvarim and understanding it in a, in a little bit of a deeper way. And he says the following, Sefer Dvarim differs significantly from the other four books of Torah. Shmos Vayikra, but Midbar all begin with the conjugate, conjunctive letter Vav, suggesting that each of the first four books are connected to one another. Bresha Shmos Vayikra Bamidbar are connected. Sefer Dvarim doesn't begin with a Vav. It doesn't begin with an and. It doesn't begin with a something that's bringing together the Vav HaChibur. Furthermore, in Shmos through Bamidbar, Moshe is generally referred to in third person. Dvarim Moshe always speaks in first person. Moshe is the narrator. And finally, Sefer Dvarim contains for the most part repetition of the mitzvos, but there are additional explanations and we expand upon them. What's going on? The Gemara Megillah Daflam and Aleph refers to Sefer Dvarim as, as we said, the Mishnah Torah. 
The word Mishnah is derived from the word Shinun, to study, to train one's mind. As the phrase Vishinantam Levanecha. Our mandate is to train the minds of our children, not just to download information, but rather vishinantam, to make them sharp, to teach them how to think, to give them analytical skills. Originally, Sefer Dvarim was given as Mishnah, as Torah Shabbat Peh, the oral Torah. Only later, on the last day of Moshe's life, do we read that Moshe finished writing the words of the Torah. Sefer Dvarim, which to that point had the status of Torah Shabbat Peh, then became incorporated into Torah Shabbat The phrase Mishnah Torah therefore means Mishnah, which also became Torah. Mishneh, Torah Shebaal that became Torah, Torah Shebechsav. So the traditional understanding of the words Mishneh Torah, which I used, Mishneh Torah means the repetition, the summary, the review of the Torah, the Mishneh Torah, which is what the Rambam very brazenly called his work too. The Rambam said, the Gemara, Sefra, Sefri, everything that came before me, I have succinctly organized it into my encyclopedia called the Mishnah Torah. Rav Shechter often points out it was a little brazen and bold of the Rambam to call his set of halacha Mishnah Torah. That's why we call it the Yad HaChazak. It's made up of 14 volumes. We call it the 14-volume work. It's a little bold, a little brazen to call it the Mishnah Torah. But Chazal calls Sefer Dvarim the Mishnah Torah, the repetition of Torah. Only Rabbi Soloveitchik suggests that it doesn't mean the repetition of the Torah. What it means is now a combination of the two types of Torah. We have Torah Shebechsav, the dictated, authored word of Hashem, the divine word. And then we have the Torah Shebaapeh, tools we were given to extrapolate biblical exegesis, to derive law, analysis, so Moshe Rabbeinu was empowered originally. He was the first of Chazal. Moshe Kibbal Torah, Misenu, Misaruli, Yoshua, the Zikenim, Anshikin, Esagdola, and so on and so forth. So originally the Torah ended, four books. Originally we'd be up to Simchas Torah this week instead of Shabbos Chazon. But what happened? And Dvarim represented the Torah Shabbat Peh. Dvarim were Moshe's repetition, explanation, expansion. It was Torah Shabbat Peh. And then the Torah Shabbat known as Sefer Dvarim, became incorporated into, integrated into Torah Shebech Sav, our written Torah. And that, suggests the Rav, is why it's called Mishnah Torah. Mishnah, the Torah Shabbat is how it began. Torah, Torah Shebech Sav, is how it ends up. Sefer Dvarim has a double sanctity of both Torah Shebech Sav and Torah Shabbat in the first four books of the Torah, Hashem addresses the community. In Sefer Devarim, it's Moshe. In the first four books, Moshe is the medium through which Hashem addresses. Moshe is the role of prophet, repeating verbatim what Hashem told him. In Devarim, Moshe is not a prophet, but a teacher. Moshe Rabbeinu. He's known not Moshe, Rabbeinu. He is our teacher, our master. He imparted Be'eres HaTorah Hazos. We'll explain that pasuk. The explanation of the Torah. There's a halachic implication to the special status on Devarim. The Gemara Brachos Tafchaf Aleph indicates that even those who maintain that one cannot derive new laws or principles from the juxtaposition of verses, even those who say smichas parshias, you can learn from the, pas- the words, you can learn from the pasuk, but there's, you can't deduce halacha from smichas parshias, from juxtaposition. Even they agree in Sefer Dvarim, you can. This view maintains that Moshe alone juxtaposed specific verses to aid in his Torah Shabbat explication. But this hermeneutic device cannot be applied to any of the other books of the Torah. So you see, it's not just a nice concept or idea that Sefer Devarim, that the fifth book is categorically different than the first four. It's not just a nice idea. It has halachic implications about whether you can derive from smichas parshios from the juxtaposition of the, of the parshios one to the other themselves. 
And so we saw from Reb Chaim, the brother of the Maral, there's Musr just in the titles, the names of the Parshios of Dvarim. And we see from the Rav a little bit deeper, the significance or the uh, themes, Torah Shabbat versus Torah Shebech Sav. Eila HaDvarim. Eila HaDvarim. This fifth book begins, Eila HaDvarim, which, if you're paying attention, is sort of an ironic beginning to a monologue that will go on for an entire book that was delivered by none other than the man who said what? Lo ish devarim anochi. Eila hadvarim. These are the dvarim. These are the words. This is the soliloquy. And this is the lengthy monologue. And this is the message heard around the world by a man who said, I'm not a good speaker. I don't have any oratory skills. Please find somebody else. Don't make me go on stage. Don't make me emcee the shul dinner. Don't make me give that dvar Torah at my bar mitzvah. I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to speak well. There's a tremendous irony that the man of Loish Dvarim Anochi becomes the man of Eila Hadvarim. These are his words. Listen to what the Eish Tamid, Rav Yisrael Meir Druk, we've been learning his beautiful, beautiful Sefer. He says the following, Niskashu Chazal B'Medrash, let me read to you the Medrash, Dvarim Rabbah. Esmol haya Omer lo ish dvarim anochi. Yesterday you said you don't know how to speak. Omer Abelazar, Esmol haya psilos. Va'achshav huayam Omer, Eila dvarim. Omer Shlomo merap aloshan etzchayim. Omer Rabacha im lashon chachochich. Ashon eschom b'divrei Torah v'hu misrape. Tzayu l'amad m'mosh rabbeinu. If your words escape you, if you're struggling to articulate and communicate, learn Torah. And it will give you the vocabulary. It will give you the vernacular. You know what the greatest speech therapy is? It's the learning of Torah. And wonders of Druk, what in the world does that medrash mean? Moshe goes from the Ishtavaram Anochi to Eilah Advarim. Did he have 40 years of speech therapy? Some of the young Jewish girls were speech therapists. They always have been. So he had his pick of the lit of the litter. He could choose who would be a speech therapist throughout the midbar. Forty years of men too. I'm not discriminating Jewish men, Jewish women. Speech therapists. Did Moshe have forty years of speech therapy so that he originally was recruited? He said, "Lo manochi." I don't speak well. And by the end, he says, hadvarim. I want to prove that I now know how to speak." He fixed his stutter. He fixed his stammer. What did, what happened? What happened? Where did it go? He was supposed to come and speak to Paro and he said, He was kvad pen, kvad lashon, as the Torah itself testified about him. It wasn't in Moshe's head. It wasn't psychosomatic. Moshe didn't imagine it. The Torah itself says Moshe was kvad pen, kvad lashon. He had a stutter and a stammer. He had everything. Kate said, Yitain. So he says the following. He says the following of Druk. It's a long essay, but I don't have time to read you the whole thing. I'll just give you the Yisod. We learned something very powerful from this Medrash. He said, I'm a spiritual, I'm in another world. I don't have this power of communication to bridge worlds, to be able to communicate ideas and turn them into things, into messages. To which Hashem said, here's the Torah. 
The Torah gives you the tools. The Torah is the instrument. The Torah gives you the vocabulary. The Torah gives us the capacity. The Torah gives us the capacity. And that's the answer of the Medrash. The same mouth that said, Lo manochi, the same mouth that was inhibited and shy and ashamed, the same mouth that didn't have the courage to be able to speak once he received the Torah, knew how to make it happen. Moshe didn't take a medicine. He didn't have speech therapy. He didn't engage some brand new novel idea how to correct his stammer. Torah transformed him into a new person. Torah gave him a stage and a platform. Torah gave him the microphone. And I've seen this. Have we not all seen people who are shy, who are inhibited, who don't speak often, and then there's a principle that they want to stand for. There's an advocacy. Then there's a fight that's worth fighting for. And now they have the words. They find the words. The story of the beginning of Sefer Dvarim is the story of our responsibility to find our words, to stand up against racism, and to stand up against hate within the Jewish community from one to another, and to be able to fight in the mistreatment and the marginalization, and to advocate for the underdog, which is what the Navi tells us is why we're in this predicament. These three weeks and nine days in Tishabav are Lamali Rov Zivchechem Yomar Hashem. The shuckling and the davening, the Rav Zivchechem, your Korbanos, that you've got down, I'm not worried about. You know what I'm worried about? Mishpat and Sedek. Where's the righteousness? Where's the justice? Where is taking care of the most vulnerable populations among you? Don't look the other way and don't be silent and indifferent and apathetic. I have seen in my career that when there are perpetrators who are harmful and harmful and injure another, they are not the worst. You know who's really the most responsible? It's the accomplices. It's the silent majority who choose to be indifferent and look the other way. And they make a space and they allow people to spew hate and venom and to act in that way. The person who says, I don't speak well and I don't have the words, and please don't put me in that position, becomes the Because when he said, he says, when did he say those words? Before Matan Torah, before he went down to Mitzrayim. That's when he hesitated and paused and said, nah, not for me, I don't need to be the shul president. Nah, not for me, I don't need to be the chair of the committee. Find somebody else. But once the Torah was given, and that gave him the vocabulary, once the Torah was given and he had the ability, he went from the low Ishtvarim Anochi to Eilah Hadvarim. And we too, when we embrace Torah, and the message and the mandate and the charge of Torah to repair Hashem's world and to be role models for the world and to stand up and confront injustice and hate, whether it's from Jew against Jew or Jew against non-Jew or non-Jew anti-Semite against Jew, in all forms to stand up and find our words, even if we don't feel like it, even if instinctively and intuitively we are the low ishtvermanochi, to become the Eilah Hadvarim, to be willing to stand up and, and to speak. Okay, Pasuke, moving right along. These are the words that Moshe Diber, that he delivered. Why are we giving us all these exact coordinates? Here is the longitude and latitude. Here are the coordinates. What are we plugging it into ways? We're trying to go back and we'll create a tour. You can journey the same way the Israelites did through the desert. No, what do we need the coordinates for? So Rashi tells us, this is the tochacha, the musr. You know the proper way to give musr? It's supposed to be embedded. It's a lesson which should be given. It's a lesson. 
the Rebbe Reb Zusha, when he wanted to give Musr to somebody else, he wouldn't come and say, you lowlife, you criminal, you reject, how could you believe this, how could you do this, how could you what? No, he would come over and he'd say, oh, Zusha, you have so much you need to improve. And he'd start listing the things he needs to work on. And he would do it with an earshot of the person who he wanted to work on those things. So essentially, he let the person eavesdrop on him giving Musr to himself about the things he needs to work on. The Torah here embeds the message of Musr. It doesn't get on and sit in judgment. You're a criminal and you're a reject and you're a heretic and you're a this and you're a that and you're a the other thing. The path, the proper path, the Torah's path towards Musr is to do it gently and lovingly in a way which will be heard. The words of the rabbis are heard when they are delivered gently and they are delivered with love. And so these places are allusions to places where things went wrong for the Jewish people and the Torah reviews them in order to give this subtle allusion of Musr so that we can improve. Pasuk, hey. Page 940 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Be'evar Yarden Be'eretz Moav, across from the Yarden, the other side of the Yarden, in the land of Moav, Ho'il Moshe Be'er Es HaTorah HaZos Le'mor. Moshe began explaining this Torah, saying, what does that mean? Moshe Be'er Es HaTorah HaZos Le'mor. Moshe began explaining this Torah, saying, what does that mean? What does that mean? So, um, the Chidush Harim. The great Ger Rebbe says, Be'er es HaTorah. Look at Rashi. Zakt Rashi, Pasukei. Be'er es HaTorah. First of all, Ho'il, Hischil. Kamohinu no Ho'alti. Ho'il means he began. He began. Be'er, B'shivim Lashon, Pirshalahem. Moshe Rabbein is in the Midbar, and he's giving the Torah over in how many languages? How many languages? Seventy languages. And I ask you a very simple question. What is this? The Boker Tone Synagogue? where you have a melting pot of people who come from all over the world, Spanish, French, English, Yiddish, Hebrew, I can't even count 70 languages. Moshe had to give the Torah in 70 languages. Rashi quotes the tradition. What does it mean, Be'er? He translated Koran, Art Scroll, um, whatever other printing press. He translated the Torah, Be'er. He translated it into 70 languages. They all came from Mitzrayim. They all spoke Egyptian. And maybe they were Ivram, they spoke Hebrew. So at most, two languages the Torah needed to be in? Why 70 languages? Be'er, Satorah, Shivim, Lashon, in 70 languages. So said the Tzadik, the Chidushi Arim, the Gera Rebbe, what was the reason 70 languages? It wasn't for the here and then. It wasn't for the generation in the desert. You know why Moshe, originally, when he first received and transmitted the Torah, in the original receiving and the original transmission, he already translated into 70 languages. You know why? It's a message to us. For the Jew in France, and the Jew in Spain, and the Jew in America, and the Jew in Eastern Europe in the 1800s speaking Yiddish, and of course the Jew in Israel is speaking the Lashon HaKodesh, the language that should bind us all. It's 70 languages as a message that the Torah was not only relevant to one people in one time, with one culture, in one place. The Torah is relevant wherever and whenever we are. The Torah is timeless in his messages. And that's Moshe Be'er Es HaTorah Hazos. He extrapolated and he taught this Torah. Why? 70 languages. So we would know that whenever and wherever we go and we are, the Torah is relevant. The Torah has messages. The Torah is timeless. The Torah is speaking to each and every one of us in the language we understand. There are no excuses. And the same is true for us today, my dearest friends. If you struggle, if you have a limited background in Jewish learning, there are no excuses. 
We have incredible Jewish publications today in almost every language. There are no excuses. You can learn and you can listen in so many languages. Torah is accessible. And so the excuse, I don't know, I don't speak, I can't understand, is no longer Moshe Be'er as a Torah Mezos. Rabbi Salavechik also catches on to this word, and he says the following. Rashi interprets the phrase to mean that Moshe translated the Torah into 70 languages. According to the Sifri, however, the word Be'er doesn't mean translate. The word Be'er, according to the Sifri in Pisgah 4, means to explain and to teach. And this was Moshe Be'er. Remember what the Rav said at the beginning, Eila Hadvaram, the Mishnah Torah. It started as Torah Shabbat and it became incorporated and integrated into Torah Shebechsav. So therefore, Moshe Be'er, what we're about to read, this journey we're about to go on, this fifth and final book of the Torah, is Torah Shabbat Moshe Be'er. It is our learning with our Rebbe, with our Rebbe Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah Shabbat According to the Ramban, the word Ho'il, indicates that Moshe on his own initiative thought it appropriate to explain the Torah, although Hashem had not explicitly commanded him to do so. Let's look at the Ramban for a moment inside. The Ramban here, on Pasukei, Ho'il, Moshe says, uh, the Ramban says, sorry, Ho Moshe Be'eres HaTorah Azos, I lost the place, yeah, anyway, the Rav, we'll, we'll rely on the Rav's quote of the Ramban. The Ramban says that Ho'il means on his own initiative. Ho'il! Hashem didn't tell me he had to do this. He didn't have to extrapolate the Torah Shebechsav part, the Torah Shebechsav rather part, but rather Moshe did it on his own initiative. In Pashat Kisiso, we encounter The Pasuk suggests that there were actually two covenants, one between Hashem and Moshe, and a second between Hashem and the Jewish people. Torah Shabbat was granted to Moshe, but he was generous and passed it on to the Jewish people. Torah Shabbat everyone shares identical. Moshe had the same share as anyone else in Israel. However, with regard to Torah Shabbat one share is proportional to his level of knowledge. The covenant of Torah Shabbat was first concluded with Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest teacher in our history, and only after Moshe imparted his knowledge was it concluded with Israel. Echoing this idea, the Gemara Nadarim Lamed Ches states in the name of Yosef ben Chanina, originally Torah Shabbat was bestowed upon Moshe and his children. Moshe was generous and gave it to the entire Jewish people. So we have this notion that Torah Shabbat should be equally accessible to all, but it's not true. It's the Torah Shebechsav, it's the Bible that should be in every drawer in every hotel. It's the Bible that's okay to be on sale at Costco. The Bible, the Torah Shebechsav, the written Torah, is for the entire world. But Torah Shebechsav is exclusively for the Jewish people. And even within the Jewish people, it is those who are most entrusted. It is those who are most knowledgeable. It is those who are most tapped into the Mesorah that we have, who are entrusted to be the ambassadors, to be able to transmit it, and to be able to pay it, and to be able to pay it forward. Pasuk Yudbeis. Moving right along. Pasuk Yudbeis. Again, we've entered Moshe's soliloquy. And here he's reviewing the appointment of judges. He says, I told you at that time, I can't carry you alone. I can't do this. Hashem, you're multiplying, you're growing. The shul began as 50 families, and today it's 800 families. I can't do it alone. I need assistant rabbis. I can't do it. We need a team. And once Moshe mentions the proliferation, the growth of the Jewish people, he then gives a bracha. May Hashem, the God of our forefathers, add to you a thousand times. 
Vivarech Hashem Kasher Diber Lachem Sfardim used this pasuk as a bracha that we give. Hashem Alokei Avoseichem Yosef Alachem Kachem Elef Pa'amim. May you be blessed a thousandfold, children and grandchildren. Einiklach Ur Einiklach. Vivarech Hashem Kasher Diber Lachem and be blessed. And then we word, move over to this word. Eicha Esalavadi Tarchachem Umaschem Verivchem. Moshe says, how can I alone carry you, your contentiousness, your burdens, your quarrels? Tarchachem, you're a burden. It's difficult. Masachem, you're heavy. Rivchem, all you do is fight. All you do is bicker. All you do is complain. I'm not just talking about my 20-hour drive up here. Tarchachem, maschem, verivchem. Are we almost there yet? By the time we pulled out of Thornhill Green. How can I carry you alone? I can't do it, Moshe Rabbeinu says. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I can't do it. I can't do it. What do these words mean? Tarchachem, Masachem, Varivchem. Says Rashi, Eicha Esalavadi. First of all, we have a tradition. Moshe said Eicha, Yirmiyahu said Eicha, Yishayahu said Eicha, and Rabbi Salavitchik added there was a fourth Eicha. I wrote about this uh, two or three weeks ago. Who's the fourth Eicha? Moshe, Yirmiyahu, Yishayahu. Who's the fourth Eicha? When HaKadosh Baruch Hu turns and he says, Ayeka. Ayeka is spelled the same way as Eicha. If we don't answer the call of Ayeka, we're destined to say Eicha. We should answer the call of Ayeka. Where are you? Stand up. The Loisht Manochi, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to become the subject or the target of the next attack. I don't want to weigh in. It's none of my business. Loisht Manochi, Eila Hadvarim. Find your words. Answer the call of Ayeka. Don't sit on the sidelines if you want to avoid an Eicha, if you want to avoid an Eicha, which is the result of a world filled with machlokas. Says Rashi, I didn't tell you this on my own. I was representing. I was the messenger of, I was speaking on behalf of the Ribbon Shalom, of Hashem. So what are these three categories? Tarchachem, Aschem, Rivchem. Tarchachem, Alamit Yisrael, Tarchanim. It was a burden. The judgment was concluded, but you kept bringing more witnesses, more arguments, more contentiousness. You were waiting. They were apikorsim, heretics. In what way were they heretical? Because they're ruthless and relentless suspicion and attacks against Moshe Rabbeinu himself. Hikdim Moshe Latzeis, if Moshe got up early in the morning to go to shul, Amram Ma'ra'a ben Amram Latzeis, Shema ina shafoi b'seich b'os peso. Obviously there's some shalom bias problems at home. Who goes to work at 5 a.m. and is working until midnight? Who's avoiding their home unless there's shalom bias problems? Clearly Moshe Rabbeinu has no peace in his own home. Icher Latzeis, if he slept in and he went to work a little bit late, he went to the later minion. Omru, they'd say, Mara ben Amram Shalom Latzeis, Matam Svurim, Yoshev Yotz Aleichem Eitzos Roz, Choshev Aleichem Machshavos. You know why he's sleeping in? He's not sleeping in. He's at home scheming. He's at home planning. He's at home with ideas about how to steal from the discretionary fund, how to manipulate the Shul leadership and the lay board. Moshe's at home. He couldn't win. If he got up early, they had suspicious and sarcastic and cynical attacks. If he slept in and went to the late minion, they had what to say about why he was late. He literally, simply could not win. He could not win. He could not win. So says the, says Rav Nachman of Breslov. You know what this means? What's the question on Rashi? I understand. Tarchachem. They were tachanim. They just, 
they burdened you and they were difficult and they were a pain. Masa'achem, they were heavy, they were weighty in that they were cynical and sarcastic and suspicious. But what does the Rashi call that? What do Chazal call that? Malamed shehayu apikorsim. Why is that apikorsis? Apikorsis is heresy. Why is that a form of heresy that that was the attitude? And what's Rivchem? Shahayu rognim. They were, just, they were just difficult people. They just like to fight. Some people like the fight. They don't want to resolve the fight. The fight is what gives them the endorphin release. They just live for and love the fight. So why is Masa'achem, the fact that they were a suspicious group, why is that apikorsis? Why is that apikorsis? So says Rav Nachman of Breslis, the apikorsis is Masa chaved al adam shechena mamin b'ashem nakelol is modid b'chomatav elavu nikla tamad yodeya shu kol beis hashem avada kolotova lokein apikoros masa achaim kaved alav biyoser mishum kach perishasi masa achem alamet shayi apikorosim masa achem weighty and heavy they walked around heavy and weighty and cynical and sarcastic and negative and attacking. And that Malameh, you see from there, they were apikorsim. What's the connection between the two? Says Reb Nachman so beautifully. You know why? The believer in Hashem, the Mammon, the person who has faith and trust, they're not looking to knock others down. They're not living a suspicious life. They're not looking negatively upon others. They're looking with an eye and tov. They're looking with a good eye. They're judging people favorably. They're happy with their lot in life and they're not suspicious and negative and attacking. They're living life carefree. They're living life lightweight. They've got to skip in their step because they say, no matter what I face, I could get a flat tire in North Carolina on my way to New York, and it doesn't matter. This is what Hashem has in mind. This is the plan. We'll sit here on the side of the highway as long as it takes, whatever it is. But the person who's an apikores, the person who eliminates Hashem from the equation, the person who lives with the weight of the world on their shoulders, masa'achem. If you feel the weight of the world of your shoulders, it'll get heavier and heavier and heavier. But if you turn to and trust in Hashem and you literally unburden yourself, you get lighter and lighter and lighter. You see what I'm doing? In our very vernacular, we use that language. When you unburden yourself, it could be with a friend, it could be with your therapist, it could be with your doctor, but it should be every single day with Hashem to unburden ourselves to Hashem. The language we use is that we unburden ourselves. And what happens when you unburden yourself? You get what? You get lighter. And a person who's not unburdening themselves, the person who feels stressed out and worried and anxious, we describe them as having what? The weight of the world on their shoulders. And the weight of the world on your shoulders is ma'asachem. So a person who says to you, I feel like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders. I'm so nervous and anxious of what will be and what will happen and how will I get it all done. You say, apikairus. You're not apikairus. You're a heretic. Because if you really trusted in Hashem, you would let go and let God. You would unburden yourself. You'd feel a billion pounds lighter. It used to be a million, but with inflation, a billion pounds lighter. A billion pounds lighter. But if you deny Hashem's role in your life, then you don't unburden yourself. You don't feel lighter. Then you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. And that says Rav Nachman is what's going on. Why Masa'achem Malame teaches us Shahayu Apikorsim. Okay, beautifully. Moving right along. So many other nice ideas. Incredible ideas to share with you. Parak Aleph, Pasuk. I can't read what I wrote. I think you'd test. Is it you'd test? No. You'd gimel. So sorry. You'd gimel. 
הובו לכם אנשים חכמים ונבונים וידועים לשבטיכם ואסימים בראשיכם. We're still at the beginning of the parasha. Moshe Rabbeinu is reviewing the message that he gave that איכה אוכל לבדי, I can't do this alone. I need a team. We've got to build out our team. We've grown. We've proliferated. We've promulgated. We have so many. Kal Yisrael, Kenai Nahara. And therefore I need more. So he recruits men. And who are the men? How are they described? הובו לכם אנשים חכמים ונדועים. Provide for yourselves distinguished men who are what? Chachamim, they're wise, nevonim, they're understanding, discerning. Yiduim, they're well known to your tribes, l'shivteichem, they have a reputation. Va'asimim b'rashichem. And I will appoint them as your heads. I'll appoint them as your heads. The Shla Kadosh points out something very beautiful on this Pasuk. The Shla writes the following. We alluded to the proper way that you give Musr. Tochacha, you don't yell at someone, you're a criminal, you're a heretic, you're, you gently, you gently and with love and with wisdom. So it says the Shlach HaKadosh, Havu lachem anashim chachamim dvarim viduim, huo derech ha-pasak al-tochach leitz, al-tochach leitz, hochach l'chacham v'yehaveka. Ha'inin kesha'ata rotu l'ochiach es-echad, if you want to be able to inspire and motivate, you need to give feedback and criticism to someone, al-tomar lokach v'kachata garua. You don't say to someone, you're a bad boy, you're a bad girl, you're obstinate, you're stubborn, you're filled with rage and anger and envy and arrogance, you're this, you're that, you're the other thing. You're so miserable. Because the person's not going to say, you know, I hadn't considered that. But now that I think about that, yeah, I'm pretty miserable. Thank you so much for pointing that out. I hadn't thought about the fact that I'm egomaniac. I haven't thought about the fact that I'm arrogant or envious. Thank you so much for ripping me to shreds publicly, embarrassing me, humiliating me, calling me a name, putting me in a place, knocking me down. You're right, I hadn't considered that. They'll never listen. And this is the meaning of the Pasuk in Mishlei. Al tochach Usually it's translated to mean, don't bother giving criticism to a lazy, good-for-nothing oisvarf bum, only tochachacham, only give criticism to the chacham who's eager for your words and will learn from them. But here the Shlach Kaddus, Rabbi Shai Halevi Horowitz, is understanding, he's translating the Pasuk and Mishlei differently. It means al tochach leitz means, not don't give tochacha the leitz. It means the tochacha you give should not be to call somebody a leitz. Don't call him a leitz. Rak adaraba, tomar lo chacham ata, vim kein cherpo hitli ish kamochalasas kovacho. This is the Jewish way. What have Jewish parents been doing for time immemorial? What do they say to the Jewish child? When the Jewish child is misbehaving, what do they say? It's pastnished. It's pastnished beneath you. They don't say, what are you doing, you, you lazy, good-for-nothing bum? They say, you're a prince, you're a princess. You're royalty, this is beneath you, it's pastnished. How are you behaving? means if you call the person what you don't want them to be, all you've done is reinforce that behavior. Modern psychologists have caught up with what the Torah knew all along. And what the Shlach Kodesh says, Moshe Rabbeinu was embedding in his Musir and Sefer Dvarim. And modern psychologists teach us in parenting that you never say to the child, you're a bad boy, you're a bad girl. You say, you're a good boy and a good girl. Why would you do bad behavior? Such a good boy and a good girl, why would you misbehave? So al tochach leitz, don't give tochacha by calling a leitz. Tochachacham, the way to give the tochacha is by saying you're a chacham. So here he says, chachamim nevonim yiduim, 
This is a response to the mistakes that they've made previously. Now Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, you're a, chacham, you're a nation of princes and princesses and royalty. You're a nation of wise and brilliant. It's beneath you that you didn't study and you got this terrible grade. Not because you're stupid and you're not smart and you don't try and you're lazy. That doesn't motivate the child. What motivates the child is, you're so smart. You're so capable. You're underachieving. I'm just describing what my parents' parent-teacher conference was like when I was a child. You're underachieving. You're so much more capable. Why aren't you trying harder? You have to say you're capable. Chacham. Chacham. But there's another beautiful insight from back to the Eish Tamid. Yisrael Meir drew quotes from his father, the Drash Mordechai. His father was a great darshan. The Drash Mordechai is a set of svarim of Mordechai Druk. And he says the following. It's a great piece. Short. He says, Rashi points out, Habu Moshe says, he tells the people, I can't do this alone. Recruit a team. I need an all-star team around me. Tal says Rashi, Why does it have to say, Habu Anashim Chachamim? What could or should it have said? Havu lachem chachamim. Go gather for yourself chachamim, nevonim, yiduim, and vasimim barashem. I'll put them at Israel leader. Why does it have to have the word anashim? The word anashim seems to be what? Seems to be extra, seems to be entirely extraneous. What does the word anashim add? Says Rashi, what, you think I had a havamina that it was going to be nashim, it was going to be women? Now Rashi is not misogynistic and biased and chauvinistic. What's Rashi talking about? Because the Torah has a perspective about women in roles of authority and the division of roles and what are our innate um, um, masculine and feminine qualities and do we want them superseded? And I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole right now. It's not our topic. But Rashi says in, in reinforcing the question, what do I need the word anashim in the Pasuk? What, you thought I was having the women to be the assistant rabbis, female assistant rabbis? That was never a havamina. So what do I need the word anashim? Elamai, what's the word Anashim teaching me? Says Rashi. This is all Rashi so far. What's it teaching me? Anashim? Tzadikim. Go recruit from yourself Anashim who are Tzadikim. So writes Rav Druk, Kashaya Magia Avi Mari Zatzal, the Pasuk Zeh. When my father would get to this Pasuk, Haya Omer Tamid, he would say all the time, Kikan Kasav Berashi Hagdara Chadasha Mihu Tzadik. Rashi is giving us a definition. You know who's a Tzadik? Who do we describe normally as the tzaddik? Whom do we describe? The person who gives the most staka, does the most chesed, has the longest shmona esrei, is the most tzanua. We use all kinds of religious criteria to determine who is the biggest tzaddik, who is the most righteous. Who are the real tzaddikim? Anashim. Mishu enoshi. Lo shakua ba'atzmo ela if you're a chevraman, if you're anashim, if you're a person who cares about others, if you're anashim, if you're a good person, a kind person, a menshlech person, that's whom Rashi categorizes and characterizes as the tzaddik, as the tzaddik. You are the anashim. Sometimes we raise the bar of what it means to be a tzaddik and we overlook the simple tzaddikim who are the anashim right in front of us. We're staying in a home in our time in this quarantine. The host, Lazarus family, the most generous people I think I ever met in my life. Their entire family is coordinated to help us. We're quarantining. So they have to shop, deliver, take care. It's embarrassing how far they've gone. They are literally models and symbols of chesed, of tzaddikim. It's incredible. It's incredible. Now, as great as they are, and I don't mean disparagingly, are they listed on the Moetzas Gedolei Torah? 
Are there art scroll books, biographies going to be written about them? Maybe they should after this 14-day quarantine and what they're doing for us. This is what Rav Mordechai Druk, Rav Yisrael father, was pointing out. You know who are the tzaddikim? Anashim. Anashim, people who can think outside and beyond themselves, who care about others, who act as anashim. That's what it means to be a tzaddik. That's what it means to be a tzaddik. Next time you look at the shul, it's not just, it's also, it's also the person who's the biggest masmid who's learning the most. And it's also the one who's cleaning up the siddur mechamashim. And it's also the person who has the longest davening. But sometimes it's the simple pasha, the yid, the anashim, who are the tzaddikim, and don't overlook that. He doesn't quote this, but the Bali Musr say, we see in our davening in the mornings, a person should always be a Yerishemayim. A person should always be God-fearing in public and in private. Don't just be righteous and religious in public, and then when you're in private, you're a duplicitous, hypocritical, altogether other person. You should be God-fearing in public and private. But the Balei Musr say you're punctuating it wrong. It's not and so on. It's be an Adam. Anashim, just be a good person. Start with being a mensch. La'olam, yehei adam. Forever, be a mensch. Before you get to, begalo yebaseisu yirishamayim, la'olam, yehei adam. Always and forever, be a mensch. Who are the tzaddikim? The anashim. That's what it means to be a tzaddik. Okay. Alaf chaf alaf. We're moving along. Moshe, who is reviewing and emphasizing the core and critical parts of Jewish history, now comes apart a milestone, which is a sad one, a milestone which is in fact what led to where we are today. We're observing these three weeks and these nine days, and Tishabav, because the ninth of Av was dedicated on our calendar, designated as an inauspicious day in perpetuity forever, because of the fateful mistake the Meraglim made. The Meraglim came back, they gave a negative report, and as a result of the negative report that the people accepted and received blindly, they gave up on themselves, lo we cannot do this. And then Hashem said, you cry for no reason? You cry for nothing? I'll give you a reason to cry, and we have been crying ever, ever since. So here Moshe Rabbeinu reviews this episode, and there's several questions in his review of this episode. Complicated. So go down to Pasuk Chafei. They went to the land, they took from the magnificent fruit, and they brought it down to us. And they brought us back Davar. They brought us back Davar. What does that mean? We said the word Davar means speech. What does it mean? They brought back Davar. They brought us back word. Word. They brought us back word. And they said, good is the land that Hashem, our God, gives us. What did they bring back? And who is the one who said this? What's going on? Look at Rashi. Look at the hey, look at Rashi. Rashi, Pasal Chafei. They brought us back word. How is it described they brought us back? They descended. Says Rashi, from here, The land of Israel is the highest of all the lands. I don't know if topographically that's true. I don't know if it's true in terms of the topography of the land of Israel, but certainly spiritually, metaphysically, it's true. Eretz Yisrael, that's why we call it Aliyah. When you move to Israel, you make Aliyah. And when Mat Raglam returned, they did Yerida. Vayoridu Eilenu. They came down, they did Yerida towards us. Vayomru Tova. And they said, Tovahar, it's Miyusha Om Tovasa. Who are the ones, says Rashi, who said this? Zagd Rashi, who are the ones who said this? Yehoshua Vikalev. 
Yeshua and Kalev are the ones who said it. Now, what does it mean they brought back Davar? This reinforces what we spoke about last week in Matos. In Matos, Le'achel Davaro, the word Davar, Dibur and Davar. Speech creates things, creates reality. Ve'ashiva, they brought us back a Davar. How do you bring back a Davar? How do you bring back a thing? It's not a thing, it's an intangible, it's a word. So go back up a little bit and look at, go back up to Pasuk, Chavbeis. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he recounts what their mission was, why they were sent, he says, What language? Part of the mission of the spies was to investigate what language are they speaking? What language? Why is that important? Why is that important? When Eli Kohn, Zechron Levracha, the, the, the heroic spy who spied in, uh, in Syria and provided us the coordinates that ended up saving the Jewish people in the Six-Day War and the Yom Kippur War. When Eli Cohen spied, did he check what language they were speaking? Which dialect of Arabic? Was that important? Maybe. You know what was much more important? Where are their military stations? What are their soldiers? What are their weapons? What's going on? Why was that important? The Maharami Prague in his Gur Arya, in his commentary on this Rashi, says something amazing. He says, if you want to know everything about someone eavesdrop to what they talk about. If you want to know everything about somebody, listen to what they speak about. There's the Eleanor Eisenhower quote that I love and I often repeat, that small people talk about people. Average people talk about things. Great people talk about ideas. Listen, doesn't mean what language they're speaking. It means what are they speaking about. Small people talk about people. Average people talk about things. Great people talk about ideas. We need to know what we're up against and whom we face. Then you need to eavesdrop and listen in on them because that will tell us everything about them. So who are the speakers of this? The Pasuk told us, And they said, The land is good. So Rashi gives what is the obvious answer. Who's the ones who said the land is good? Says Rashi. Yoshua and Kalev. The two good spies. There were 12 spies. 10 were negative. 2 were positive. So if this is a positive report, The land is good. Who delivers the positive report? Obviously, it's the positive spies. Clearly, it's Yeshua and Kalev. Rashi. That is what Rashi says. The Ramban disagrees. I don't have time to read it inside, but the Ramban says no. You know who are the ones? Vayomru. And they is all 12 spies. All 12 spies came back and said, Zavas Vashu. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. True, they described a reality that the fruit are enormous, that the people are enormous. But all they did was describe a reality. Vayomru, and they said to Vaharetz, the land is good, says the Ramban is not just Yeshua and Kalev. It is all the Meraglim. And you know what the Ramban's evidence is? The Ramban provides some compelling evidence. He says, the Jewish people for 2,000 years and beyond, until today, we have been responsible for the fact that we listened to the negative report. Well, I don't understand. If 10 gave a negative report and only 2 gave a positive report, why would we bear responsibility? Why would we be accountable for following the majority? It must be that all 12 gave a positive report and still we accepted and received it negatively. And that's why we are held accountable. So Rashi and the Ramban disagree about who are the Vayomru, who are the ones who said, Tovah the land is good. So what happened? Where did we go wrong? If according to the Ramban, they all came back and reported the land is good, then where did we go wrong? So look at the next pasuk. But you didn't want to go up and you rebelled. And what did you do? 
you slandered Regilus. You slandered in your tents. That Hashem took us out of Egypt. Why? Because He hates us. He took us out because He hates us. Says Rashi. Says Rashi. What does it mean, Hashem took us out because He hates us? You ever punish a child, a young child? What do they usually scream? I hate you. You hate me. A child has to go and time out. A child has to lose their device. They start screaming, you hate me and I hate you. Here, the impetuous Jewish children. God says, you can't go into Eretz Yisrael right away. You made a terrible miscalculation, a mistake with the Meraglim. And what do they scream out? Hashem hates us. Moshe is telling them, are you out of your minds? Hashem is your father. He loves you. He loves you unconditionally. What are you talking about? Yeah, you said Hashem hates us. But really, you know He loves you. What were you doing? You were projecting. You hate Hashem. And in order to justify or explain, in order to make you feel better about your hating Hashem, you projected onto Him and declared, that Hashem hated us. That Hashem hated us. How do you understand what's going on? Why would they project? How do they hate Hashem? How in the world does it make sense to hate Hashem after everything Hashem had done for this Dordea? <clears throat> Ten plagues in Egypt, and a splitting of the sea, and a, and a well, and the clouds, and the pillar of fire, and the slav, and the man, and the list goes on and on and on for the miracles and the magnificence of the way Hashem treated them. And here they could so brazenly describe with such chutzpah and such ingratitude, besinas Hashem osanu, that Hashem hated us, which Rashi says is really they're projecting, we hate him, where did they go wrong? <clears throat> where did they go wrong? So very briefly, again, I wanted to read all this inside, but we'll end very briefly. The Svarno, Rav Avadja Svarno, here on this Pasuk writes, it was because of their Avodah in Mitzrayim, they were idolaters and pagans in Egypt, and therefore they felt unworthy. And when they said Hashem hates us, they were projecting, they didn't really mean they felt that Hashem hates them, what they meant was they felt unworthy. They felt inadequate. They felt incapable. They had a low spiritual self-esteem. And because of that low spiritual self-esteem, they projected. If they thought they were unworthy, certainly Hashem has to see them as unworthy. And that's why they failed to be willing to go up. Rashi and Kohela says that word, this word we, we skipped, Velo avisem la'alos, and you didn't want to go up. The word avisem, says Rashi and Kohela, avisem means passion. You lack the passion, the tenacity, the resolve, the resiliency. You didn't want to go up. And how do you justify your laziness? How did you justify your feeling that you were incapable and incompetent and you lacked the passion to make it happen? You simply projected and said, Hashem hates me. Hashem hates me. It's like the kid who doesn't try hard in school and therefore gets a failing grade and says, the teacher hates me. Teacher loves you. Nobody wants you to succeed more than that teacher. Don't use the teacher. Don't project onto the teacher as an excuse to underachieve and not to try hard yourself. That's what was going on. Why am I sharing this with you? Because this is a message as we're going into the nine days and Tisha B'av that should be near and close to all of us. Ultimately, where was our failure? Lo nuchal la'alos. We didn't go up. Why did we accept the words of the Maraglim? Because we didn't believe in ourselves. We had yeish. We had despair. We didn't believe. We felt unworthy, inadequate, incapable, incompetent, and therefore we didn't make it happen. And if we want to change our reality and bring a ge'ula, we have to get up off the floor 
and get out of our state of mourning and grief. And we have to see in ourselves the capacity, and that's part of Shabbos Chazon, to come full circle to the way we began. Chazon Yeshayahu ben Amot. Chazon Machazeh. Have a vision of who you could be. Stop selling yourself short and underachieving. Chazon. Set your sights and have a vision. Believe in yourself and make it a reality. Wishing everyone a wonderful rest of the day. Tonight we have a shir at 9 p.m. about loving even those that you don't like. Tomorrow morning, 10 minutes of meaning at 8.15, Mesilas Hasharam, 8.45, Living with Amuna, and tomorrow night, our wonderful Behind the Bima continues. Stay happy, stay happy, holy, stay healthy. If you're watching on YouTube, please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, even if you're not, consider it, and have a great day.